Today's guest is David Enken. David Enken is the CEO of Toy Makers Incorporated and is the star and host of the show, the same name, on the History Channel. Now, we have a really fun conversation talking not only about this show, but a little bit about automotive in general and how self-driving cars might affect the future. Really had a great time with this, and I hope you enjoy it as well. I bring you David Enken. This is Unstructured. Welcome to the show. Thanks for coming on. Hey, thanks for having me. Now, you have a really long meandering path to get to your current status doing toy makers. And I kind of want to reach back a little bit. I, I noticed that I guess you had a bar or a chain of bars at one time. You know, back in the day, you know, it was, it was easy money. You worked in the bar business, had a bar. Um, we did a lot of events at these bars and you know, we had, you know, car shows and bike shows and stunt shows, all kinds of things. I've always been in that sort of world, if you will, no matter what I was in, it always fell back to what I love to do, which is cars, motorcycles, trucks, that kind of stuff. And bar business was no different. I needed to bring people into the bar to have a cocktail. So you threw a, you know, a bike event or a, a car show, something of the sort. So just uh, sort of the nature of the beast to be done in my whole life. So I'm guessing that working on cars and maybe even going further, creating mechanical creations has always been a hobby. Yeah, it really has been. My grandfather worked for Studebaker and Packard. My dad built hot rods his whole life. And he was, he's, he's still one of the best, best fabricators I know. So for me, it just was very natural. We didn't have a lot of money as a kid. So you had to go to all the local, you know, uh, yard sales and buy little mini bikes and lawnmowers so you could put together your go-kart or your mini bike or buy a junk motorcycle, fix it up to ride. Or when it came time to drive, you know, I couldn't afford to go out and buy a, you know, a $100,000 car. I had to buy a $150 car and make it cool. So it just came very natural for me and hmm. I figured if anybody else could do it, I could do it as well. I'm wondering if you grew up similar than I did. Um, I was really poor as well. And I would always buy things that had value, even though I didn't care. And then I just keep trading them up. Yeah. To get to the well, next. Me, I, I never considered myself poor. I, I don't, I don't know that I was poor, but you know, I work, I shoveled snow in the winter. I mowed grass in the summer. Uh, for us, that's what we did. We grew up. I, I never wanted for anything. If I wanted it, we had layaway back then. You went to Walmart, <laughs> put it on layaway and you paid it off. So for me, it, yeah. And you're right. I'd buy something. I would, work on to fix it. And then I'd sell that one to buy the next one. Then I'd fix that one to, to buy the next one. And, or I would trade up. You're exactly right. And now what's sort of unique is now I have some really cool trick toys. I don't have to sell it to build the next one, which is really nice and a nice change of pace. Yeah. Now, are you only building them for yourself or are you building them for others? No, we build them for everybody. Uh, I, I could be a little more selective now. Um, but yeah, we build them for everybody. And then at the same time, they're really oddball, crazy, one-off stuff. I tend to build for myself. Nobody's quite as warped as I am in the head as, as far as the off-the-wall stuff. Okay, well, since you can be pickier, what are your criteria for choosing what you actually 
want to work on or will work on? You know, honestly, a lot of people just don't understand what it takes. You know, so it's one thing to take a Camaro, Mustang, Corvette, something of the sort, OEM car off the shelf and fix it up. That's easy. Anybody can, I'm not saying anybody, but any good shop can do that. Um, and, and that's how a shop makes money. For me, I really like to pick and choose the guys that say, look, I want something that nobody's ever seen. You know, they bring me a napkin drawing and say, look, here's my idea or a Hot Wheels car. And here's what I'm thinking. Taking a creation like that out of somebody's head or out of my head and off a napkin drawing and really designing a set of wheels or designing a body or a chassis or a motor combination that is totally absurd is my life. I mean, I truly the thought of building that beautiful poster on the wall or the Hot Wheels car, that you know, didn't really exist and making it reality is amazing. So when I look for a client, that guy that comes to me today, I had an interesting guy come to me because I want a 69 Camaro. And for me, that's a very, one of my favorite cars, had a bunch of them, but they're all, they've all been done. He goes, I want you to do it your way. I said, well, wait a minute. So you're telling me I get to build it any way I want. He gave me a budget. We talked it through. I'm going to build this 69 Camaro the way I want to build it. We talked through it. it, You know, he's, but to be able to have the, when you're picking a customer now, you're picking a customer that has a few extra dollars, that doesn't mind it takes a year, year and a half to build a car. And to do it really right, you can't come up with a 1,000 horsepower for $3,000 anymore. You can't build a car that does 200 miles an hour for no money. It takes time. You want it to stop right, turn right, act right. You want it to cool. There's so many criteria. I really picked the guy that thinks a little bit more like me now. And, and that's the one beautiful thing the show has given to us. So would you consider yourself a an artist and they're your patron, much like a painter who's commissioned to create this piece of art? You're creating a piece of art and you have to have that relationship. Rolling art would be a beautiful, a beautiful scenario. For me, when you can take something that looks, when you're done, it is a piece of art. The, the way the lines are run or, or electricals run or, you know, even a brake line, that, the way it comes or the exhaust system, the way it comes up and through. We're so picky and so anal that when you're done and you look the bottom of the car, the top of the car, really go through it. It is a work of art if you do it right. And I think that's what I really love about a one-off car versus an OEM car. OEM cars are cool. I do a bunch of them, but they've already done all the work for you takes the fun out of it for me so well when you said about um brake lines and everything else it sounds like the uh steve jobs quotation where he talked about his father and painting the fence and his father saying now you got to paint the backside yeah. and he's like well nobody's looking at you he said yeah but you will know yeah you know you're exactly right and and there is now listen let me tell you something there is something to be said about that a real good fence maker the guy that really knows what he's doing will look at the backside of the fence. Same thing at a car show. If I show up at an event with 400,000 people, there are guys that just appreciate a shiny coat of paint. There's guys that appreciate the, the fabrication that went into it. And there's guys out there that are great fabricators. This country is full of incredibly talented people. And when they walk up and see, oh, my God, he built the four link. He built the ladder bar or he built a front A-arm or spindle or rear end assembly. That's the guy. It isn't for the guy that looks at the shiny paint or the front side of the fence, as you saw Paul say it. It's for the guy that comes in. 
I know that the brake lines are really tricked the way they're run and the way they, you know, same thing with the, 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 the fuel lines or an exhaust system. It's for the guy that knows. And let me tell you something. This country is full of really talented people. Hmm. Do you um do you have shortcuts to where you can just say, let me go look at this one thing or one part of the car. You'll know immediately if it's a crap job or a good job. You know, you can look at, listen, I can tell you, I look at my own stuff. Money and time. It's all about money and time. If you have enough money and time, you can make something perfect. I've never built something perfect. There's always a money issue or a time issue gets in the way. So when I look at somebody else's stuff, to them, it's dead perfect. But they use their amount of money and their amount of time and their amount of skill. For me, it's the same thing. It isn't about being perfect or if it's a crap job or a good job. I learned a long time ago that when I hit my first $5,000 ride, I thought it was the coolest thing on the planet. And you could convince me of nothing less than that. I do the same thing now. I show up at an event, and to that toy maker, it's a beautiful, amazing piece of machinery. And it really is for the amount of money he had, the time he had, and his skill set. Mine's no different. As I look at the stuff I do, I got every build I've ever done. I go, man, if I could redo that, I would do this, this, and this. And the same thing. I'm building for season four right now. And, and I'm looking at it. Everything, Every mistake I feel I've ever made in the past, I'm trying not to make now. and I'm Trying to, I'm always trying to grow my level, my skill set, my team skill set. And uh, there's no such thing as a crap job when it comes to a real toy maker, a guy that's really a gearhead. It's there. The beautiful thing about this industry, it's what that guy likes. His lawnmower might be green with tires that big. You know, my <laughs> lawnmower happens to be red and the tires are that big. You know, it's like, who cares? It's just my idea of what's cool. That makes me think of the project manager um, triangle. Um, speed, cost, quality, pick two. Yeah. <laughs> speed, cost, quality. You know, for me, I would say quality's got to be there because most of my stuff I drive really hard. Um, God, probably cost. Speed isn't, speed's a relative word. I mean, what you think is fast or what I think is fast, I promise you, is two different things. I get guys roll into my shop all the time and think their car is blistering fast. I promise you. And I promise you in our world, it's, it's literally a toy. So speed isn't that important nowadays, especially if you're going to drive it on the street. It's all about looks. It's all about quality and it's all about safety. Really. You know, I don't ever want to, I don't want to get hurt or have somebody else get hurt because of me. So. Now you had mentioned season four and I'm going to revisit a question I asked earlier because it may actually be different. How do you determine what projects you're going to use for the show? Is it about the car or is it about the story? Both. I, for me, it was what clicks in my head. You know, honestly, if, if you know, this year I happen to be doing a, a, a spinoff show that nobody knows about yet. Just breaking here this last week. We're doing a spinoff show as well. And it's, it's all basically me on the road doing events. Right now we build cool cars. But if I could take a drag car that we built and then go do some radial racing with it or do a drift car that we're building and go to a drift event with it, do a monster truck and end up at a monster truck event. Those are really cool things. So one part of my show, when you re- we visit Toy Makes, it's about building that toy. Mm-hmm. The second part of this thing, we start doing this other show where we start showing the, how the car performs or truck performs, what it can do, what it's capable of, 
what real horsepower is. That's where I really am getting excited to be able to show the fans both sides of what we do. Very cool. And you, your show seems to be um, performance-oriented versus style. Would that be a fair statement? Yeah. I mean, uh, for me, I love performance. I, I still – listen, I'm still a freak about how a line is, how a stance is, how a wheel tucks, how an exhaust comes out. Very much a freak about that. I can't tell you how many times we put something together, take it apart, put something together, take it apart. But I am about performance. Ultimately, I don't build paperweights. I drive everything in my shop. I drive it to the extreme. I drive the wheels off it. And if I can't do that, why build? I call it rolling art, but it has to roll. If it just sits there, <laughs> it does nothing for me or my team. Now, what, what technology are you using in the actual filming of the show? You have GoPros all over the place. Let me tell you something. You guys get to see four or five guys in the show. For me, there's 55 guys. I mean, the, the talent behind me is amazing. It isn't – I'm always blessed. We're humbled and blessed for the people that helped me build. You know, my team is amazing. But the sound guys, the camera, I have no earthly, yeah, we have GoPros, but we have so many big cameras of people hanging out of trucks and cars and, and drones. It is, it's amazing what they do. The sound guy, some of my cars are brutally loud. They have to use special microphones. Some mm-hmm. cameras, they can't pick up over some, you're doing 200 miles an hour. A typical camera can't pick it up. It doesn't shoot enough frames per second. I've mm-hmm. learned a lot. But just enough to know absolutely nothing about what they're doing. But I will tell you, I've got one of the best teams around me. And, and, and man, our show looks amazing. And it's it's all about the 50 guys nobody sees, if that makes sense. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's always the people behind the scenes. And absolutely. One thing I'm curious about, too, is I feel like you're doing the show over a period of time. The technology is not only improving, but it's improving almost exponentially. It's happening in my industry, too, the car industry. I remember when a big block Chevy with 400 horse was a big deal. Now that's a horrible six-cylinder. You know, it's nothing to have a 1,000 horsepower out of a car. Same thing with the cameras. We're using these little bitty cameras that shoot 360s and go, or I'm doing stuff that you just can't imagine. And as, as much of a freak as I am about horsepower and transmissions and wheels and suspension and brakes, the camera guy is that picky about his camera equipment. The sound guy is that picky about his sound equipment. I had a guy, do a quick story, the sound guy, the very first time I ever filmed, I was doing a big burnout, ripping the tire off the car. He comes in, hands me the earphone, said, listen to this. It's me doing a burnout. I said, I was in the car. I heard the car. He's no, no, listen. And I was in the car doing a burnout. I heard the car. He's, no, no, you're not listening. He could hear my foot hitting the floor in the middle of the burn. He was so oh, wow. excited. But that's the kind of talent I have. These guys are so talented. They're excited about my foot hitting the floor. I'm excited about smoke rolling off the tire, me ripping the tires off the car. So it's amazing team. But you're all obsessed. I think I think what makes us an incredible team is my sound guys, my director, my EP, my, my camera guys. They're obsessed. They truly are obsessed with what they do in every aspect of what we do. And that gives us, it gives us a great show. Which I think is great. I mean, um, don't take offense. It's actually a compliment now, but you're a car nerd. 
I every bit of a car nerd, no question. And the sound guy is a sound nerd. I am a podcast and nerd. I call him a sound nerd. He is truly. He gets so excited <laughs> about the stupidest stuff, but it's pretty cool. Well, what's so funny is, I mean, twenty years ago, nerd was an insult, and now the term has become completely owned and flipped to where. It's a compliment. It's a badge. Listen, let me tell you something. If that's it, I've been called a lot of things in my life. I will be called a car nerd, a gearhead nerd. I don't care what you want to call me. I, I love what we do. We're blessed to be doing what we do, and uh, I'm okay with all of it. What What is a typical shooting, um, I'd say day, but I'm actually more interested in the process of an episode? You know, you think about it. We do five months straight. So I do eight episodes in five months. Wow. Well, one season finale car for each episode takes me 18 months to build. So I'm always 18 months behind. So I have to pre-build, like I'm already working on season five finale car. So I got to start it 18 months in front. So I start pre-building and then I got two or three weeks to actually shoot that episode. So there's a lot that goes to it. A lot of shows aren't done that way. And then I do four, five, six cookie cutter builds that are a Mustang, we might throw a pro charger on it, some nitrous, tint the windows, throw some stickers, some tires on it. That's a quickie build. I might do a, a motorcycle where I rip all the bags off and throw a turbo on it, some knobby tires. It's a quickie build. But my one season finale car takes me 18 months. So I got to pre-build certain things because in an hour-long show, let's face it, I can't show 18 months worth of build. So I try to build what I don't want to show on TV. So I build the chassis, I build the A-arms, I build the suspension, and I bring it out in front of everybody. To, Look, we spent this last summer building this, we did this, we did this, and then we bolted. Because I don't go to AutoZone and buy the parts. <laughs> hand-build the parts. I mean, the bodies are hand-built. Chassis are hand-built. Suspension is hand-built. Seats are hand-built. We don't go buy a seat and put it in the car. Our one-off cars are truly hand-built. So has the network been very supportive of giving you that kind of lead where, you know, Jones history has been amazing. I mean, truly been amazing. You know, for us, um, anytime you get to do what you love to do. Now, listen, let me let me clarify something. That five months is the (laughs) hardest, hard. It's the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. I'm going into season four. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life. And I'm an old man. So. It's the most rewarding thing I've ever done in my life. You know, when, when you visit a school and you visit a young kid, you go to a terminally ill, you know, uh, play where there might be a hospital or, or cancer kids. When you can touch somebody's life, it's amazing. The rewards are amazing. But I, I, they're 12-hour days, seven days a week for five straight months, and you don't get sick. You cannot get sick. There's, too many, there's 50 people waiting for you to get on set. Uh, you know, last year I got bit by two ticks and uh, didn't Ooh. realize it. Till in the, and I was in the middle of filming and I was on my deathbed and, and I, I had to go. It was it was horrible. Oh, my Lord. Um, You can't miss it. You know, there's everybody is counting on you to be there. The hardest thing I've ever done in my life. But let me tell you something. It's absolutely the most rewarding. Well, you have grandkids now too, right? I do not. I've got one son. I'm very fortunate. Uh, I waited to way late in life. Uh, he's 13, getting ready to be 14, uh, going to be far better than I ever dreamed of being. Um, he's he's humble. He's a good kid. He cares, almost cares too much. Um, <laughs> but you're building history right now. What's that? You're building, 
you're building history. You're, mm-hmm. you're creating a visual book that your family generations down the road can potentially look back and say, oh, this is what you were about. You know, for me, I think this show could have done a couple of things. I thank God I was a little older in life when it happened. Um, it makes me a better parent, makes me a better man. It makes me a guy that wants to, I think I could have went a couple of different ways, but when I look at my son and if I say it or he hears somebody in my wheelhouse say something, it's gospel. So you don't really have to be careful. And then I surrounded my, you know, for his friends, I didn't want it to ruin his life. So I tried to include his friends in a few things, always trying to include Braden. So he understands that he's a fortunate kid. He's not a, you know, we work very hard. My son goes to work and works very hard for me. Um, he, he, he's got his jobs. He does. So for me, it's about, I, I think the show's made me a better person. It, you know, it teaches me patience. It te- teaches me humility. I mean, Come on, I, I know I, there's a million guys that are like me. There are a million guys that can do what I can do, mm-hmm. but to, to have the the blessing and, and, and the support of a, a team around me to be able to, dude, we're going into year four on the History Channel. Are you kidding me? I mean, come <laughs> on, that that's a blessing like nobody's business. And and all I care about is trying to give back a little bit to my son, and hopefully he learns from that. Do you ever hang out or get together with any of the other shows specifically like counting cars? You know what I, I have over the years, you know, it, I, I, I knew a bunch of people from television long before I did this. So I didn't want to do television. Usually that's called SEMA. We go to SEMA every year in Vegas mm. and all the car guys get together. Um, right now, I think everybody's so busy. You don't have time after during SEMA, y'all get together, y'all talk, y'all share stories. Um, but not like you would think. I'm on the East Coast. A lot of guys are way out west or somewhere else. So for me, um, unless it's a SEMA, a PRI, a Fab Tech, something like that, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. Not saying we don't talk on the phone, but um, no. It's I, I travel in my circle, which is a small circle, and, and then I try to do as many events as I can and touch as many people as I can because I I fear my industry is slowly dying. Because the youth coming up today is changing. You know, when I was growing up, it was all about, man, the best toy I had was the front door. Now it's, you know, a Game Boy or an iPad or an iPhone. So, you know, to try to get kids to work with their hands and understand that you don't have to be a brainiac. You have to be dedicated. You have to be willing to put the time in. You have to be persistent. You have have a little bit of faith. You can do anything you want in life. True. What are your thoughts on that? Um, you mentioned your industry may be slowing down. What do you think about self-driving cars? You know what? I saw a bunch when we were at SEMA this year. Um, I, I remember a day when they didn't have computers, didn't have cell phones, didn't have TV. I remember the first TV in my house. So, and I always said, it was, I had 600 VHS tapes until six months ago where I finally threw them out because I was refusing <laughs> to believe that the little discs were going to mean it. Now the little discs mean nothing and you stream Correct. everything. it's coming. Um, I've learned to embrace what's coming and try to grow with the industry. I think too many people fight it and and they fall short. They don't believe. Um, Electric cars are coming. And let me tell you something, they're amazing on every level. And I'm an old man. I like the sound of a big cam. I like the big open header sound. I like a big thumpy, ornery running vehicle. Electric car, you get in, you only hear it run, hit gas, and you go. In the past, if you get one right. So to try to, you know, season five, we're talking about combining the two. 
Um, mm. But, you know, what's really unique about that is, is I fought it for so many years and it wasn't eight track tapes were going to stay. Um, I was wrong. Um, I never said I'd carry a beeper because you can reach me anytime you want. Now I can't live without my cell phone. So <laughs> I never wanted a computer. Oh my God, are you kidding me? Now I'm talking on one in an interview. So for me, I gave up the fight. Now it's believing in the industry, believing that we, we, the people have to mold and manipulate that just a little bit and try to grow with it and make it better and make it usable for everyone. I actually have a theory on that and I'd like to run it by oh, of you. Of course. And you, did you know that records as in LPs, you know, plastic mm-hmm. spinning discs have outsold um, downloadable media this past year <laughs> and they outsell CDs? Well, the reason for that is there are passionate collectors who love the sound of a record. There's nothing else like it. I'm wondering if we're going to get to a day where we will have a majority of self-driving cars in cities, but then like Route 66 may open up for hobbyist drivers. So driving may become a leisure activity with people doing collecting cars and toys and things like that. I've spent a lot of time talking to all my buddies. Let me tell you something. I I love my cars and I got a bunch of them. You'll never get me in a self-driving car. Number one, I don't like being in a passenger seat with somebody else driving. It ain't going to happen. But let's talk that through for half a second. You know, Harley Davidson, for instance, I was in a meeting with them a year and a half, two years ago. They said that, you know, the, the, the old people were dying out faster than new guys were buying. So you're exactly right. What's going to happen is there's going to be an era where there's self-driving cars and electric and all this other stuff. And then there's going to be us old guys that are wanting to drive a car. We like to feel the sound that don't ever want to give it up. And then there's going to be my son's generation and his kid's generation. I have a neighborhood kid that didn't even care about getting his driver's license. He was almost 18 years old and could have cared less. That's absurd to me. It's absurd to me. You know, I couldn't wait to get a driver's license. Oh, all of us. That was our generation. And you know why? Driver's license is freedom. Yeah. And nowadays they don't think about that. So I think you're right. I think eventually there'll be two sides. And then the old guys will slowly die out. And then the new generation, they just grew up into accepting that an Uber, dude, just call an Uber which is great. I think they have their place. But for me, dude, I'd rather try to get in my ordinary running car and go rip the tires off it when I leave the parking lot. Well, one of the best things with Uber is I think that DUIs as a whole have gone way down. You know what? Like I said, if you're going to go out and you're going to play, I'm doing some stuff with the Reedsville City Police Department right now where I'm taking a police car and doing something for the D.A.R.E. program about drinking mm-hmm. and driving. I think I'm going to do the car half and half. Part of it is a taxi. Part of it is a police car and say, look, it's your choice. What are you going to do? A taxi or an Uber in a, in a police car? doesn't matter. But you're right. I think the youth of today is getting smarter as far as what is – when we were kids, we didn't care. We knew it all. It couldn't hurt us. We weren't drunk. We were just doing – you know. Um, right. But I think ultimately it's about the freedom of driving and somebody taking that away from me is what bothers me. I don't want somebody to take it away from me. They took my eight tracks 
They took yes, <laughs> Dave. They took them. And it's like, you can you can go get a vintage player, but I can agree with most things. But sorry, you deserve to have eight tracks taken. I they deserve to have eight tracks. No, I mean, come on, you had to drive around the block to hear the song again. You couldn't even at least rewind like a cassette. You had to listen to the stupid blocks. I I remember eight tracks. Oh yeah. But it's funny is, is, you know, I remember when the cassette come out, I go, dude, this is horrible. What is this little thing? And then I remember the disc. I thought it was, when you get used to the disc, yes, it was much better, but, <laughs> but it didn't eat, it didn't eat your, your disc, but. Well, fantastic. Now I wanted to cover one element of your past and that was being a stunt man and you were a stunt man for a theme park. You know, yeah, you know, I played, you know, back then we were just young kids looking to make an extra buck. So, you know, when you're at Six Flags, for instance, was the biggest one I did. Six Flags was awesome. You know, I got to play Batman. So they were looking for a guy that was six foot tall and, and 200 plus pounds. And and I just fit the bill and, and I could ride a bike and I could drive and I could fix stuff. And, and you know, it was a home run. You're a young kid making huge money in the theme park and saying you're Batman. I mean, how, how do you beat that as a as a kid? You know, it's uh, so long ago in my life, but it, an amazing time and amazing people that I met back then. What I'm really curious about, though, is like um, a stuntman on a film is going to perform a stunt usually like one time. Maybe they have to do it again because something fouled up or there's a retake. Is there a problem or potential for danger due to complacency? by doing the same stunts over and over and over all day. You know, day. be honest, the safety people that were out there at, at like a Six Flags or a Universal or any of them parks is amazing. And, and the stunt coordinators usually came in and you worked for months. But you're right. I did the same show. It was a 22-minute show. You take Batman, for instance, 22-minute show, five times a day. And you did the exact – and you had to high side. I remember when you had to slide in high side a bike into a fountain. Worst thing you can do on a bike is high side it. That's where you get hurt. You want a low side of bike. So for me, you're absolutely right. But they had no tolerance for any type of goofing off. Even though as a kid, we goofed off all the time. I was always in the office getting yelled at. But they really didn't tolerate it. You know, if you if you were a goof off and you didn't follow procedure to a point, you didn't work there. They didn't play. They wanted to make sure that you didn't get hurt. Number one, they had millions of dollars invested in the show and the theme park. And if Batman went down, who do you have? So they didn't tolerate any type of shenanigans. Um, matter of fact, if I think back, I don't know how I lasted so long because I was full of shenanigans back then. But but I was a smart guy, too. I never wanted to get hurt. We, you know, we're just being young kids and having a good time. Was it just scary enough to make you pay attention? Absolutely not. I uh to this day, I don't, I don't know. Um, I don't, people ask me all the time if I'm scared. If you build something right, if you prepare right, if you know what you're doing, you know you always respect what you're doing. You don't want to fear it. If you fear it, you don't need to be doing it. It was never scary. It was just a level of confidence, very sure-footed. To this day, if I go out and you see me doing 200 miles an hour, 100 miles an hour sideways, I don't think twice. It, it doesn't even bother me. Um, I, I'm confident in the machine, confident in the safety gear, and confident in what I do. So. Scared isn't a proper word. Maybe respect, but but just confidence. Very, very sure-footed in what I do. Okay. Well, to wrap things up, when does season four come out? You know what? They're they're pushing now. 
we're, we we still don't have the air date, but that's because we got two shows coming out at one time. So they're trying to push both productions at the exact same time. So I would venture to say beginning of the year, um, it'll be all over our social media, Twitter, you know, Instagram, Facebook, all that when the actual air date is. I think reruns start in the 18th of August for season three. So we're just getting the rerun started for season three. And uh, we're in a bunch of different countries now with all three of the first three seasons. And of course, all the digital platforms. So um, it's a little early for them to give me a release date on season four, because we're just getting into pre-production on season four. So, Well, fantastic. And hey, thank you so much for coming on. Oh, appreciate you guys having us. Thanks for listening. And if you like what you heard, please consider subscribing for free. And I mean for free. It is always free. There's no billing, anything else. You can subscribe in your player of choice, which is probably right in your hands. Or you can go to unstructuredpod.com. And there are plenty of links there. Thank you so much. And in the spirit of sharing, here's a couple more shows you may want to check out. Laughter, tears, celebrities, newsmakers anecdotes and recipes wait i was wrong they don't do recipes you can't hear food join host rendell kenneth jones a man who is not the original cowboy in the village people and announcer susan c bennett the woman who is the original voice of siri every week on jones dot show a podcast so accessible its name is a web address www.jones.show Hi, this is Kara Mayer Robinson, and I host Really Famous. I interview A-list celebrities. I dive deep because I used to be a therapist. This is what Tim Gunn said. I just have this antipathy for the judges. I can't stand being in the same room with them. Tim Daly. If you're not working in L.A. and you're an actor, there's no worse place to be. Michael Rappaport. I changed schools every year from the third grade to the twelfth grade. Disruptive was my thing. Chaz Palminteri. I knew something was going on. I said, I got to talk to somebody. It's Really Famous. It's like eavesdropping on a therapy session. 